Man, I tell you what, it is always, always an exciting blessing to be with you guys. I just love your fervency, your fire. Chris and I, we always love uh, to come here and be with you guys. Your pastors, uh, Dustin and Jamie, they are amazing. They're phenomenal, really. I mean, world-class my estimation, I was looking over here and seeing Casey, and I was thinking, I preached for their parents back in the 90s. They were like, like young. I was actually young back then. But our, uh, our history goes back 25 years. I mean, that's a significant amount of time. And Dustin was always on fire for God, always fervent. Uh, he went on a couple trips with me. I got a chance to be a part of uh, he and Jamie's wedding. So I said all that to say, uh, when you have that kind of history and you're able to see God raise folks up, uh, I just really respect who they are as people and who you guys are. And you guys are blessed. Y'all know that, right? Not just blessed, y'all spoiled. You know what spoiled is. You guys are spoiled. It's so awesome. And my beautiful wife here, Krista, she's spoken here many times. This woman, my goodness, my goodness. I try to tell folks. At night, sometimes I always wake up in the middle of the night and check her back for angel wings. Like, she just fell right out of heaven into my bed. Come on, somebody. TMI. Come on, man. Hey. Hey, you got a Bible? We're going to jump in this. If you got a Bible, if you'd open up your Bibles to Luke, I believe it's Luke chapter 5. Uh, I am excited for this message because I really feel like it's a message that will help you where you're at. And so I'm super excited about that. And uh, as you're going to Luke chapter 5, I do have some product out there. I got a brand new book. It was actually the original book I wrote. This is the only thing I'll share right now. I wrote my first book was Prophetic Evangelism. I was approached by our publisher to say, hey, would you re-release it? And uh, I think the initial intention was to slap a new cover on it and re-release it. And I go, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to rewrite it. So I took out like almost half the original book put in half new stuff, and then reworded the stuff I, I left in the book. It actually turned out to be bigger than the original book. But I first wrote the book, Fighting for the Theology of Prophetic Evangelism, if you kind of track with me on that. This one, I'm not fighting for theology. I'm like, what can get you off your couch prophesying over the barista at Starbucks, leading her to the Lord, praying for someone else, and they get healed on the way out, and Jesus having revival wherever you go, Walmart, Target, come on Home Depot, come on the mall. And so that's what this book is about. If you got a Ability to look up at the screen, a phone that you got the scripture on, or you actually have a Bible on you. Come on, somebody. If you would look with me at Luke chapter 5. It says, Luke chapter 5, starting verse 17. It says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, say, uh-oh, uh-oh, not good saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, yeah, Jesus can do that. <laughs> he answered and said to him, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, 
your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on. I just love this because only in God what you are hopelessly glued to in your inability, you could take up and rise up in his ability. I love that Jesus does that. And it says, and they were all amazed and they glorified God and they were filled with fear saying, we've seen strange things today. The decision to grow will always involve a choice between a risk and a comfort. Whenever you're placed before an invitation for breakthrough, the miraculous, the supernatural, the fulfillment of the destiny of God on your life, you will always have to renounce a comfort zone as your ultimate priority to step into a breakthrough zone, which comes because you're willing to take risks. Our challenge is, as, as human beings, it's our nature to not really enjoy taking risks. We love comfort zones. We love our comfort food. Come on, we love our Netflix binge. Come on, somebody. We want what's comfortable. But can I tell you what's on the table from heaven in this season requires that you're not just doing what's comfortable, but you're stepping out in the area of obedience. They used to have this old school commercial that dishes your brain, dishes your brain on drugs. I went and they would show you a crack of egg fried in a pan. I wish we could say this is your faith. This is your faith in a comfort zone, but then contrast and show what your faith looks like when it's in a process of taking risk. I grew up inner city Oakland, and growing up inner city Oakland, there were certain lids and limitations that I grew under. And this was something that when Chris and I got married and we went on our honeymoon, I was determined at that point in time that some of the earlier learned behaviors, limitations, some of the lids of my past, even some generational stuff, I was not going to live underneath that any longer. Now, I'll share that, but first I need to share this. I am not one who particularly cares for uh, generalizations, uh, for uh, uh, certain types of things where you put certain beliefs on people that aren't true about certain people, that would be called stereotypes. But having said that, I'm just going to tell you, in my neighborhood growing up in the city of Oakland, we did not like water, okay? I'm just going right to it, not going to waste any time, right? I mean, we took baths, we took showers, but they had a neighborhood pool that was a little bit down. They ended up closing that down in our neighborhood because all us brothers, right, we would all have our floaties on. We would have inner tubes. We have paddle boards. We would all be in a kitty inn, and we 15 years of age growing whiskers. Come on, somebody. They closed the pool down. Why? Because very few of us had our fathers around. And some of us had uncles, but our uncles didn't teach us how to swim because their uncles didn't teach them how to swim. So we didn't really like water. Okay, I'm just saying. Like, I know it's a stereotype, but y'all stick with me, right? And, and, and the other thing, too, is that being on the West Coast, you would always hear shark stories, shark attack, shark week, bit some dude's leg off, got mad, come up on the beach and bit his wife's arm off. That's, that's called urban legend where the story grows as you tell it. So I didn't like, and I didn't like heights. There was just something, I don't know. So anyway, I got married, and I was determined I was going to break some of that. Now, follow me. There are only three types of honeymoons, right? Honeymoon number one is 
You eat at every available high-class restaurant. You become a foodie. You take pictures of it. You take selfies. You're visiting all the touristy sites. You get all the souvenirs because it's going to be 10 years before you get enough money to go on another vacation. You did your sanctified money dance. You got a little extra jingle in your pocket. You're going to live it up, okay? Honeymoon number one. Honeymoon number two is, all right, y'all be mature with me. Honeymoon number two is you and your now spouse have held out. Y'all have been pure. It is blessed of God. Come on, somebody track with me now. I need y'all to get with the preacher. Y'all get on your honeymoon. Y'all not going to go out and visit any sites. You are holed up in a bungalow. You're doing take-in food. You are off the radar because in the five days you got, you can fulfill the Genesis mandate to repopulate the earth because you have done it right. And I bless that. I bless you. God blesses you. Honeymoon number three, which is what Chris and I had, although we had one and two too. Okay, just saying. Honeymoon number three is that I, us, we, attempted every death-defying, heart-pulsating, adrenaline, man, inducing exploit you possibly could, and part of it was what I've already shared with you. I was determined that I was not going to enter into this next season of my life with the limitations of the past. And so let me give you principle number one, and then I'll share with you what I did. Principle number one, hear me on this. New seasons demands new flows. We are in a new season, y'all. I'm going to nod my head, even if you don't. We're in a new season right now. It demands a new flow. You can't just have your pre-COVID flow in a post-COVID world. I'm believing we're post-COVID. Y'all with me? I actually heard the Spirit of God says that he is not going to pour post-COVID-19 new wine into pre-COVID-19 old wineskins. If you don't understand what that means, it means when God pours out a fresh outpouring of his spirit, it requires that you are ready to receive that, that your heart is, is pliable, it's ready. So here's what I did on my honeymoon. Y'all ready to know, right? Like I told you, we didn't like water, right? <laughs> we swam with sharks. We petted sharks. They weren't in cages and we weren't, or we weren't in cages and they weren't. We was in the same body of water as the shark. They told us they sawed off their teeth. We just had to take their word for it. I'm petting sharks. I pet stingrays. I could see the nub on the end of the tail. I don't know if it had any voltage, and it spit at us. Like, it just spit on us. I was about to slap that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I just went too ghetto on you. We did speedboats, man. I didn't like, well, I couldn't even swim that good. It was kind of like, you know, usually you, when you're signing deaf waivers, that, that is your first clue. Like, and, and it should have been a YouTube tutorial. It's kind of like, can you swim, brah? I'm like, yeah, okay, you're going to keep going, right? We on the speedboats, the, the, the guide went out in front of all of us, and I, I think he was testing the waters or whatever, but I'm California, so I'm like, y'all too slow. I got in the fast lane. I'm trying to keep up with him, but... All of a sudden, we start hitting the water. We thought we were going to flip. Like, I don't know, in your car, if it's raining, you're hydroplating. I don't know what that's called on boats. But, I, I like, again, I don't like water. I, like, I'm going super fast. My, my wife starts laughing hysterically. Like, when she's on roller coaster, if she thinks she's going to die, she laughs hysterically. Ah! If I think I'm going to die, I start narrating in a third person. I'm like, oh my God, this brother's going to die. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me. I zip line a mile high over a canyon with no net. 
We were going 60 miles an hour. Remember, I don't even like heights. I don't like water. We, we scuba, snuba dive in the bottom of the ocean. I'm turning green. When the brother turned green, that's not good, okay? I'm on the beach putting sun. I could have started a website entitled what you don't think a brother would do.com, okay? WWW. I mean, I did it all. Why? Because the lids of the last must be lifted for the latest. God is ready right now, I believe, to pour out his spirit and do such a fresh work in the air of the supernatural, bringing you into a deeper place of intimacy, of knowing his voice, of sharing his heart. But it's going to require a posturing, and like we're going to see an example of this. In this passage right here, Jesus comes to Capernaum, presumably from Scripture. I won't make a complete argument out of the silence of Scripture, but I will go where Scripture goes. It's at least his third time. First time he shows up at Capernaum, which scholars say it is the early Jerusalem headquarters of Jesus' ministry. First time he comes, the Bible says a demon-possessed person is in the synagogue. And he cast the devil out. Imagine that, a demonized, we're not talking about he had a bad diet when he was young. We're talking about the it clown from the horror movie showing up in a man at church. And what I love, two principles I want to pull out. Number one, I love the fact that when Jesus is there, folks get free. Come on, somebody. We're not told what this man had, and maybe we're not told so we can make personal application. Whatever it is that's held you back, held you out, held you down, must let you go when you get in the presence of Jesus. One of the purest selling points of Christianity, I'm not a salesman, but one of the purest selling points of Christianity is he sets you free. He's not just going to tickle your ear. He's not just going to make you laugh or make you feel good for a moment. No, you don't come to church just to feel good. You come to church to feel God. And if you feel God, you'll get free. That addiction, that bondage, that guilt, that early childhood trauma that triggers you still this time of year, that is forced to let you go when you get in the presence of Jesus. You you know Jesus has the power to do that. So I love that. Second principle is how many previous times did this demonized dude come to church and get, didn't get free? It was the day Jesus came that he got free. Come on, somebody. How many of you know religion doesn't set you free? It actually adds shackles on the change you already got, right? This dude went to church, but I'm telling you, we need to have enough anointing in our service, in our worship. Come on. They're not just up here trying to look cute, which they all are very cute. They're up here because they're packing some artillery in the spirit so the enemy can't run roughshod over your life. We need enough anointing on the word. That's why I'm not up here giving you a TED talk. That's why I'm not up here doing life coaching. I'm trying to preach enough word that if there was something holding on to you, it's got to let you go. And this is what we need in church. I feel like I got a word for you. And if I'm excited, I am excited. I was just thinking, why am I excited? I'm just excited. I just love the Lord. I think one of the key things that I want to share with you right now is deliverance is coming back to God. When I first gave my life to the Lord back, back, back in the day, right, uh, there were people that were getting delivered. And you know you'd think that that would freak folks out. You know what? More college students, I got saved on a college campus, more college students were getting saved because it was like that what was in, that's what's in them. They're doing what I'm doing. If that's in them, what's in me? Oh, my God. You know, and like... <laughs> That's partially how I got saved, okay, just for the record. So it does work. But the cool part about it is, is that evil can't stay in you unchecked when you get in the presence of Jesus. 
there's somebody that can set you free. Come on, you can just shout on that, right? So here is Jesus' first visit. A dude gets the devil cast out of him and deliverance is coming back to the house of God. We're going to see it. Number two, he comes back at least another time to Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law, one of his disciples, she's sick and she must be seriously sick. Jesus heals her. Word gets out. They bring a whole bunch of people to Jesus. All these people are getting healed. So imagine now Jesus has the reputation that when he shows up, you get free. When he shows up, you get healed. So now he comes the third time. Come on, somebody. How many of you know the house was filled? This was before kind of TikTok, Instagram. They didn't get their tickets on Ticketmaster. Come on, somebody. They just heard Jesus was in the house. That's all they took. And I'll just submit to you. As it's being heard that Jesus is in the house of Church 1132, you're going to have to knock out walls and get new buildings because you won't be able to house the people when the word gets out. Jesus is in the house. Didn't you notice how he did it? No social media blitz, none of that other stuff. It was heard. And this is when I say, if we can get vintage Jesus, raw Jesus, you don't have to make Jesus attractive. You don't have to make Jesus trendy. You don't have to make Jesus sexy, meaning uh, attractive to an emerging generation. No, anything you add to the gospel dilutes the gospel. We don't have to add to Jesus to make Jesus attractive. Let me, oh my God. The, the empowering belief of anyone that walks with God is that Jesus is attractive all by himself. I don't have to dress up Jesus to make him attractive, right? You just need to see. You see Jesus, you would be more fanatical in love, passionate, walking with Jesus than I am if you met the Jesus I met. This is my empowering belief. Your witness goes to a whole other level. I think some folks don't witness because they don't know how attractive Jesus is. You find out how good he is, how attractive he is. Folks around you are going to find out how good and how attractive he is. The room is packed out. Do you know you serve a SRO Jesus, standing room only Jesus? Do you realize that? There's so many things in this passage when I've heard this message preached. It's usually centered upon the four guys that tore open a roof. We read it, lowered their paralyzed friend. Jesus heals that man. And typically, the, the messages I've heard are uh, uh, the power of friends, that friends go bring people to Jesus. Friends bring you to Jesus. And that's awesome. And maybe on another day I would preach on that. But that's not why I feel like my assignment that I'm with you today. I want to center in on something different. You ever read a passage in Scripture and something jumps out at you? And as it jumps out at you, you begin to go, oh, my God. And so I saw this phrase, and it blew me away. And, and I, I don't mean, oh, my God, in a vain way. I mean, oh, my God, this is powerful, God, what you're showing me. And I simply read the phrase, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Like many times, scriptures or messages come because I interrogate the passage. I don't mean interrogate like your detective favorite show on Hulu and Netflix. I mean interrogate like I say, Holy Spirit, why did that jump out at me? What are you saying? So I've read this passage, and it says the presence of the Lord was there to heal them. So let me, let me set up the context. The Bible says that the room is packed out. Jesus shows up at least the third time at Capernaum, packed out. Luke, who wrote this gospel, and his inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says the presence of the Lord was there to heal them. Okay, hold that thought. Them. Presence of the Lord. A little bit later in the passage, in the narrative, it says four friends ripped open the roof and lowered their friend. He got healed. He, their friend, is singular. Presence of the Lord was there to heal them is plural. Thus, all of a sudden, the emoji that goes on the side of your head. 
Why would Scripture say the presence of the Lord is there to heal them, but only one person gets healed? And all of a sudden, I'm in this, I'm in this thing, man. I've gone down the rabbit hole with the Holy Spirit. He's showing me stuff. But here is the thing, right? Who is the them? That's where we got to begin. Who's the them? Well, we read it. It says the only two groups it, it singles out amongst the crowd, it says that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. So is it safe to conclude, and it is, that there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law that needed healing? Yes. So the present Lord was there to heal them, but none of them got healed. Somebody had to come late to the party to show you what was always available in the party. So, a couple quick thoughts. Number one, it tells me that we think if the present Lord was there to heal, people will get healed. But if you're, if you're taking a, a time capsule snap before them four dudes lower their friend, nobody's getting healed. The, the assumption is the present Lord was here to deliver, people would be delivered. Presence of the Lord is here in this area to bring revival. Presence of the Lord wants to bring breakthrough in my life, in my family. A miracle is available to me, then I would experience it. And the answer is unequivocally, come on family feud, ah, right, third strike. No, because the power is always present, but it isn't always received. Write that down. Write that down. The power of Jesus is always present, but it isn't always received. You could be in proximity of your miracle and not experience it. You could be rubbing up. You could reach out and touch your miracle, but not experience it. Why? Well, I tell you why, right? It's pretty obvious. Because something about the Pharisees and Sadducees were different than the one four friends that lower their friend. This represents superficial Christianity. This is supernatural Christianity. How do I get out of the superficial and get into the supernatural? Well, we're going to tell you how to do this. All right, number one, we're going to go to the first place that I want to uh, share with you. The Bible says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was sitting by. Somebody say sitting by. My first point is this. You must be a landing strip for your breakthrough. You must be a landing strip. When the Bible says the present Lord was there to heal, I imagine that there is a hover pattern of the supernatural. There's a hover pattern of your breakthrough. There's a hover pattern of the blessing that you're crying out for. But it looks for a landing strip. My wife and I, we fly out of San Francisco. We flew out of San Francisco yesterday. We'll fly back today. Uh, many times, uh, particularly in the morning, fog kicks in in San Francisco. If you didn't know it, the fog of San Francisco has its own Instagram account. It's Carl with a K. Check it out. Seriously. Carl, like, ooh, Carl's thick this morning. Ooh, like, like, emoji, emoji, right? Carl got his own. So fog. So you can take off in fog because you don't have to see the sky in front of you, right? Like, you can take off. But they will not land a plane in fog. After They'll put you in a holding pattern. You can tell I've been in one right the way I said it. Until the fall clears off. Could it be that sometimes miracles and breakthroughs are in a holding pattern over your life, waiting for the fog of your heart to clear? I'm telling you, I, I used to, like, I, I literally, for, I wrote a book on revival. I'm not an expert. I'm a student. But I thought for years, like, revival's locked up in the closet of heaven. There's chains on the door. And if we fast and pray enough till our belly button touches our spine, come on, we back to eight pounds, seven ounces. Come on, somebody. We half a ocean twin. Come on, somebody. I mean, y'all, you, y'all deprived yourself of food. Then maybe God would crack the door of heaven, a little bit of revival out, and we'd have a good meeting. False. 
The whole concept and metaphor that is whack. That's not true. I believe revival's in a holding pattern. I believe miracles are in a holding. There's miracles in this room right now. And it waits for the fog of our hearts to clear. God, these guys didn't give them a landing strip. That was the problem. And, and, and the, oh my God. All right. There's several different ways they didn't give them a landing strip. But I think one of the most immediate ways is it says they were sitting down. Today, this is how it happens. Today, teachers stand, students sit. Right? You go to a university, it is, you would think the oldest person in the room is a teacher. Not necessarily. Bennett University. Still go to universities, right? No. The guy or gal standing at the bottom of the lecture hall, that's the teacher. The oldest person in the room could be a student taking a class trying to get their degree or whatever. Right? But in Jesus' day, it was the exact opposite. Follow me. In Jesus' day, students stood, teachers sat. For the Pharisees to be sitting is what they're saying is, we're the teachers. Jesus, you need to be the student. The reason why, and this would kind of lead to the second principle, is you must stand up like a student if you're going to receive. And I'm trying to move quickly. I want to give some time at the end to minister is that what they were saying is we're unteachable. You should be listening to us, Jesus. You know why people don't get the miraculous in their life, they don't get breakthroughs? Because they don't have a teachable spirit. They fool around thinking they're the smartest people in the room. Come on, Pharisees, teachers of the law, y'all not the smartest people in the room, y'all come in fourth place. Jesus is the smartest person in the room. The four friends that lower their buddy through the roof, they come in number two. The devil comes in three. He's smarter than you because he got you thinking you're smarter than Jesus. The omniscient one, Alpha and Omega. You come in, in the Olympics, you don't even medal. Come on, somebody. The devil took the bronze, okay? You get nothing. You get a ribbon. You don't even get your national anthem played. Come on. You are not the smartest person in the room. We got to get back to the point. You're not going to be smarter than God. You're not going to figure God out. God's not going to jump underneath your microscope. Come on. Let me talk to you for a second. God is infinite wisdom. And the way to receive from God is to humble yourself as a student. In other words, it's saying, God, I got ideas. I was raised a certain way. I've come to conclusions in my life. But I'm willing to push all that to the side for you to teach me your ways. Come on, somebody. Jesus one day pulled a little kid out of the audience. He knew, he knew who his crowd was. And he said, unless you become as one of these, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see. There are elements of the kingdom that you won't even witness with your eyes unless you can become like this young child. What's the thing about a child? We saw them on the platform. They're inquisitive, right, the little girl? She's about to, she's about to, they're inquisitive. And I'm telling you, you need to, you need to get your... In this sense, your inner child back. You need to get that innocence back. You need to get that, Lord, I'm fascinated. I'm in awe of who you are. Some of us got old and we lost, I mean, old in, the, you know, in, our, in our faith. We lost our fascination. The most effective fear spirituality that will be manifested in this season or will be done so by those who are fascinated lovers of Jesus. You need to get your fascination back. These dudes thinking they figured it out, they're sitting back. And one of the uh, Old Testament, it says, it says, woe to you that sit, lay back on your ivory couches. These dudes didn't just sit back in a chair. They're lounging fully back, which I'd also throw in this. You've heard the term on the tiptoe of expectancy. These guys are exact, exact opposite. The reason why people don't get breakthroughs is they don't have expectancy. 
You know what I'm saying? They come to church expecting the supernormal when they should be expecting the supernatural. Right? Their, their expectancy's gone. Like, I expect I'll get in, and I expect you'll get me out by 12 noon, Pastor. I expect I'll be over and eat my food at this. I expect. No, no, no. Let's change all that. Let's ball that up, matter of fact, and throw that in the trash. Let's come believing that God can heal cancer. Let's come and believe God can put marriages back together. Let's come and believe that whatever that thing is that's held uh, in an area of bondage can be broken. In the Let's just believe that as I praise this, this, uh, uh, anxiety disorder that I've struggled with and the medication I've had to reach for can be broken as I praise him, as I get off of my problems and get on to the solution. Come on, somebody. Oh, man. I felt I had a phrase, and I want to give it to you. I'd rather be an amateur in the new than a professional of the old. And that's exactly what this passage is illustrating. These jokers, Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're professionals in the old Mosaic law, the Torah, but they're not willing to be amateurs in the new. You, Jesus came to the synagogue first. Paul, when he was in the book of Acts, many times would go to the city, he'd go to the synagogue first. They were, be, they were given opportunities. These dudes could have led an incredible movement. Right? They could have been the dudes we read about, man, but they passed up and missed their miracle for these reasons. They're sitting back, and here's their problem, right? They had a full fullness. F-A-U-X. They had a full fullness. They were faking fullness. Y'all not full. And Jesus exposed them many times. And he's, he's basically saying when you're really full, you're displaying desperation because desperate people continually get their, their cups filled. If you're not desperate, you're not full. So if you're not desperate and you're looking full, it's because you're full, full. You're faking full. You're not really full because the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled desperation. Oh my God. Okay, come on. I'm getting too fired up. All right. I wonder if sometimes, and this applies to these dudes, they were present, but they weren't plugged in. Do you know you could be present in church, but not plugged in to what God's wanting to do? And you miss it, and you go back, and you perhaps can even make and arrive at a general conclusion about that church or Christianity in general that is erroneous because you were present, but you weren't plugged in. You came out, but you weren't connected. That's these Pharisees. And now they lead me to the third thing. And man, I'm forgetting the point, so maybe you could help me. But the third thing uh, up there, oh, there it is right there. You got to get your expectancy on. Here is what Jesus said. And Jesus called this one out. This, he made it very easy. He said to him, why do you reason in your hearts? What was Jesus saying? You have no expectancy. He's saying this. You're so busy reasoning, you're not receiving. You ever know people like that? They're reasoning in their heads how this has to work out. What has to happen? Why do they do that? What? And I get it. If you're new and you're new to Christianity, you're new to coming to church, that reasoning took place in all of us. But you've been sitting here a while now. Why are you still in your head reasoning? You're in worship reasoning. You're in transitional announcement reasoning. You're in the word reasoning. You walk out reasoning, and you didn't realize all this stuff Jesus would have put on your plate, but you was in your head. If you could have got to your heart, you would have found out God let, set out an entire banquet table before you. Here is the problem. These guys, because they're in this position, 
that they didn't realize that they were being entrusted with a suddenly moment. They were on the brink of a breakthrough, but they missed it. When it says the Pharisees and teachers law sitting by, and it says the presence of the Lord was there to heal them, that means some of these guys needed something from Jesus. But the pride, the posture, the, the lack of any kind of expectancy and the reasoning. And I'm thinking right now, so many people have, and I believe, no doubt, God wants us. The Bible says, come let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, yes, shall it be white as snow. I don't believe we come to Christ and connect, commit intellectual suicide. I believe God wants you to use your brain. He definitely wants you to think, no doubt about it. But somewhere along the line, you got to get beyond analytical Christianity to experiential Christianity. If you can't get from analytical Christianity to experiential Christianity, you're only going to have a hybrid of a holy original when God's got so much more. There's somewhere along the line, all these thoughts I've got has got to, I'm who I am today because of the experiences God has given me. Based on the word, based on his character, I'm not out there, you know, whatever experience, but I'm saying, God, I got to experience. You can't just be a concept. You can't be a theory. These guys, they had a theory of God Almighty because they couldn't accept his word. Are y'all still with me? Okay, we're doing good on time. All right. The Pharisees never moved beyond intellectual, if you will, I'm going to use the term Christianity. And if you can't move beyond intellectual Christianity, you never open the door uh, to move, excuse me, if you can't move beyond intellectual Christianity, you'll never open the door to experiential. Because why? Engaging the carnal mind always short circuits the move of God. Now let's switch. Four guys come to the door. They can't even get in. Why? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees are taking up too much space. Them dudes, how many of you know you can fit more people in a room if everybody stands up? They always have a room capacity in hotels, standing room only versus sitting down. These guys aren't just sitting down, taking a little space. They're lounging, taking up a lot of space. And I wonder if that kind of attitude keeps people from coming to the house of God today. And I'm telling you, you and I have so much of an ability to help set an atmosphere that when people walk through our doors, they feel Jesus, they get delivered, they get healed, all based on our hunger. Or, you know, you're kind of like, woo, I'm tired. I'm just going to come and turn. I'm just sit back. No, 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 don't. We don't need no more sitting back saints. Come on, somebody. We need some folks that's leaning into what God's doing. We need you to bring something. Come on, somebody. Folks is going to be in some football stadium somewhere around here. Probably don't know if the Dallas has a home game. But folks is not sitting back lounging. Come on, when they come out, they're coming to lose their popcorn, scream, all this kind of stuff, painting their stuff, putting on like outfits that nobody would ever wear in public for the most part, right? They're doing it all for a team that may lose that day. Okay, no, don't nobody, nobody get mad at me. How many of you know, I'm going to do a whole lot more for the king of kings, got up out the tomb on the third day, died for me, resurrected, coming back for me. He never loses. Four friends tried to go to front door, couldn't get it. Tried to go to side door, couldn't get it. Tried to go to the back. And I love this. One dude said, let's take it to the roof. And another dude had to sign off on that. Like, dude, that's a good idea. <laughs> I think when you're willing to take risks, all of a sudden you get out of logistics. You get out of calculation. You begin to live by revelation. I imagine three dudes went up there, Lord. A rope, the dude's on like a pallet. I don't know what you call it. One dude out there tied him up on it. They're pulling this paralyzed dude up the side of the wall. I love it. They love him that much to get him to Jesus. Uh, I don't know his name. We'll call him Bob. They're pulling Bob up. 
And all of a sudden, these dudes start tearing the roof up. They're like, we couldn't get down. See, here's the thing. The type of Christian you are, what tells me the type of Christian you are is what you do when you hit a wall. These dudes could have dropped their tail between their legs and went back home, but they're like, no, devil, not today. We didn't come all the way out here to get, like, by the door. Come on, we don't need no more by the door services. We need someone that's going to get in and touch Jesus. We got to rip this roof off. We're going to rip this roof off. You go, well, that's not a big deal. It is if it is in your house. Okay, this is not their house. These guys in Jesus, the Bible says, he's teaching, and all of a sudden, a piece of the roof falls. And I can imagine these Pharisees up here, and these dudes are like waving at Jesus, lowering their friend down. And Jesus said, it says, when he saw their faith, what everyone else would call, I don't know what you would call that, like, like destruction of someone's house, right? Jesus said, that's faith. Because they're about to pull on me something I came for all of you. But you Pharisees and Sadducees hijacked the room. And so they're going to show you what was always available to you. Jesus said, your, your, your sins are forgiven you. Hey, rise up. The dude took up his stuff and walked. Can you imagine the conversation of Bob and his boys as they're heading back to wherever they came from? Like, oh, my God, did you see it? When, oh, did you see them Pharisees' face? All them guys, right? And I begin to realize this is the part I will touch, and we're closing. Here's what we do need you to be, these four guys, in this particular way. These guys had uncommon faith. You can't have the default Christianity of your region and break it open. Let me explain. In Dallas, there is a faith common to Christians. In other words, if, if you could get a profile, come on, my sister's not here. You can get a profile of Christians in this area, it would look a certain way. It'd be different than Los Angeles Christians. There's a profile of Christianity. I'm talking about people serving the Lord now. It's different than the East Coast, different than the Pacific Northwest, different than Southern Florida, right in the peninsula. It's different. But here's what I submit to you. If I have a faith common to all the Christians around me, I don't raise the roof. I reinforce it. Oh, God, help me say this better. You have to have an uncommon faith to raise the roof. You, 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 to lift the lid. This is what it was. Remember I told you the lids of the last must be lifted for the latest, right? These four guys, had they just tried to go to the front door and did what was common, what was common would not have gotten their friend healed. Throughout history, revivals, moves of God, reformers, people like W.J. Seymour, Evan Roberts, Catherine Coleman, and others, they didn't exhibit common faith. They had uncommon faith. They were raised, they were roof-raising reformers, barrier-breaking believers. And what I'm saying to you is now is not the time for normal, comfortable Christianity Dallas Metroplex. We need a faith that's willing to tear up some roofs and let, like, it's cool to have Jack in the box, but Jesus shouldn't be in the box. That house was a box because of the mentalities, right, and the religious practices of folks. But four guys say, I'm going to raise the roof and show you what Jesus will do when he finds uncommon faith. And I'm calling you. Jesus calling you. It's not enough. I know I'm probably going over this a little bit, but it's not enough. Please hear my heart in this. It's not enough just to come to church, stand up, sing a couple songs, or drop a buck in the plate and walk back out unchanged. That's not going to do it anymore, Dallas. Come on, somebody. That we need to contend for faith handed down once and for all. That we want a move of God. I'm telling you, seriously, Texas, y'all have led this nation in so many great ways. I mean, like right now, there are certain things that would not have happened in this nation had it not 
been in people that have prayed and have stood for God and believed for God. Could it be that the revival that would sweep this nation will begin with some roof-raising reformers that's saying, I want to show the North American church what was always available. If someone would just pull on Jesus in the most glorious way and say, why? Because revival doesn't come to the quiet. Revival comes to the desperate.